The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Sound on with Kevin Cirilli. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Sound On. With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Billionaire Democrat Tom Steyer making it official. He's running for president. What's one more? Swalwell's out. Steyer is in. And more fallout for Epstein. Epstein. Jeffrey Epstein in 10 or 15 years is the last time that President Trump spoke to Jeffrey Epstein. 10 or 15 years ago. This according to Kellyanne Conway. Can Secretary of Labor Acosta hang on to his job? President Trump was asked about all of that, this story that is dominating the political discourse here in Washington, D.C. and throughout the country. Plus, the latest on President Trump's meeting with Cutters Amir. What did they talk about and how will it impact the geopolitics in Iran? We're going to break down all of that. Leading off on the program, we're going to hear from Democratic presidential candidate Tim Ryan. He's going to call in uh, just in a few short minutes. We're going to ask him what should happen with Jeffrey Epstein and with Labor Secretary Acosta. We're also going to ask him about the crowded Democratic field, his role in that field. Joel Payne's here, a Democratic strategist, former director of African-American media outreach for Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign. Also, the former deputy national press secretary to former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid. And Brad Blakeman, a Republican strategist, former deputy assistant to President George W. Bush. We're going to help us navigate through some tough topics today, folks. Tough topics. Before we jump right into it, busy day in the news if you've been following this horrific scandal horrific scandal regarding Jeffrey Epstein the billionaire the 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 staple of of the the Palm Beach crowd and someone who had deep ties to politicians on both sides of the aisle i mean it is absolutely remarkable how this has captured the attention and dominated the discussions here inside of the Beltway. And President Trump was asked about it. And he said that he's examining a lenient 2008 plea deal that Labor Secretary and former U.S. Attorney Alex Acosta struck with Jeffrey Epstein after the financier was indicted on Monday for sex crimes in Manhattan. Joining us on the line, and that's where I want to lead here, we have to lead with this story, is Democratic presidential candidate Tim Ryan. Uh, Congressman, thank you so much for joining us. And, and I got to – what do you make of this, this scandal that has engulfed, engulfed the country? Well, clearly this guy's a, a, a pretty bad guy. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I hope he rots in jail. Uh, you know, as someone who has a 15-year-old daughter, um, you know, 
makes you want to puke, to, to be quite honest with you. And, uh, you know, I just hope he, he gets the, you know, the, the, a lot of hard time. And uh, it's just, it's terrible. It's terrible to even think about. So it's, it's shameful. I mean, it's just a stunning display of someone in power taking advantage of, of little girls. And, uh, you know, again, I hope, I hope he serves some serious hard time. The headline in the New York Times by Glenn Thrush and Patricia Mazzi saying that, quote, uh, Labor Secretary Alexander Acosta facing calls to resign over the Epstein plea deal. Back was he, when he was the U.S. Uh, attorney, he made what some are calling a sweetheart deal with regards to uh, uh, Epstein. And he has come out publicly via Twitter today, the labor secretary, and he has said that, quote, the crimes committed by Epstein are horrific. And I am pleased that New York prosecutors are moving forward with a case based on new evidence with the evidence available more than a decade ago. Federal prosecutors insisted that Epstein go to jail, register as a sex offender and put the world on notice that he was a sexual predator. Now that new evidence and additional testimony is available, the New York prosecution offers an important opportunity to more fully bring him to justice. That said, as you know, Congressman, he's facing calls to resign. Do you think, do you think Labor Secretary Alexander Acosta should resign? I do. You I do. do. And I think it's pretty clear there was a sweetheart deal there. And, uh, again, you know, I, I, we need to be very clear on this. And uh, that's, that's my position. I think he needs to go. We're going to talk more about this coming up. We've got an all-star panel. But uh, granted, uh, pivoting back now to the to the crowded Democratic field, Styers entered into the race, Swalwell's out. You just picked up some key endorsements in New Hampshire, uh, and that's arguably where you're going to be spending a lot of time, I think. Uh, you've spent yeah. much time in, Manche- in Manchester, New Hampshire, and you were endorsed by three of the city's 14 aldermen for your presidential bid. What are you hearing from folks up in New Hampshire? Yeah, we, the, the economic message is resonating. I mean, I've been talking about this for, you know, the last, you know, my whole career, but, you yeah. know, more nationally in the last couple of years, really about focusing on how broken the economy is. And New Hampshire, like Ohio, has uh, an opiate crisis there. They have a, a lot of issues around uh, mental health, and these are issues that I've been advocating for, a mental health counselor in every school, social and emotional learning in every school, really rebuilding the economy, rebuilding the middle class. Uh, 75% of the people in the country are still living paycheck to paycheck. So I'm the candidate that really has the new ideas about moving forward. I think a lot of Democratic candidates are talking about you know, really plugging the hole in a broken economic system. And what I want to do is fix the system so that we're actually creating jobs that don't pay 15 bucks an hour, that pay $30 an hour or $40 an hour. And I have an agenda around, you know, the, the new uh, industrial revolution that's happening outside, out, uh, in the world around electric vehicles, around solar, around wind and AI and additive manufacturing. How do we dominate these industries? I have a plan to do that. And it's resonating clearly. I mean, the top vote-getting uh, alderman, councilman, uh, board president of the biggest city in in uh, Manch in uh, 
New Hampshire, is just endorsed me. And two of the most popular councilmen in Manchester, New Hampshire, have endorsed me because they hear the message. And this is about the message. It's not about the money. If it was about the money, Hillary Clinton would be president right now. So I'm very comfortable with where we are and excited about what's going to happen here in the coming weeks. Congressman Tim Ryan's on the line. He's running for president, a Democrat uh, in Ohio. He's talking about the economy, the crux of his uh, messaging. He's perceived, and you know this, Congressman, as being a bit more centrist than some of the likes on that debate stage down there in Miami the other week. I was watching you on Fox News' Sunday Morning Futures, and I was I was nerding out because, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a dork. You know this from coming on this show for, <laughs> for a little bit. But you're talking about Medicare for All, and, and I was really struck by what you said about not for taking private insurance away and congressman i gotta be candid here you're like you're like on your own there and it feels like it as an observer as an interviewer of of you folks i mean you're kind of you and biden i guess but like who knows i mean is are you able to, to to break out with that message you and delaney yeah, I mean, I, it's happening now. I mean, you have our, our our union workers, the blue-collar people who have good health insurance. Why would we want to be in the business of taking that away from our people? I mean, there are people out there that have health insurance that they like that's private health insurance. We shouldn't be taking that away. The idea is to make sure that people who don't have good private health insurance at, at this day in 2019, 2020 can have can buy into some public option, whether it's Medicare or a separate public option. I'm, I'm agnostic on how we put it together, but it should be available. Health care is a right. And I think that's where the vast majority of Democrats are. I think that's a position that's untenable in a general election. And I think it's wrong, first and foremost, but I also think it's, it's political suicide to go into a general election and have our nominee out there saying they're going to take private health insurance away from union members who have negotiated a good health care package for themselves or other people who have negotiated good health care and maybe sacrificed a lot of wages along the way to get that good health care, and they're going to perceive the Democrats as coming in and taking that health care away. And, and we're trying to get union members back into the Democratic fold after Trump was able to get some of them. I think yep. it's a terrible position for us to be in. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I got one more question for you. Actually, I got like two. But... Uh, What's going on in Youngstown? I always ask you about in Lordsville. What's going on in, the, in there, and, and how, are, how are folks holding up? I know that the, the plant closure there really is making an impact. Well, you know, I'm, I'm in Greenville, South Carolina now, and I was in Manchester, yeah. New Hampshire, and I, you know, and I was at, at home in Youngstown, just outside of Youngstown the other day. Every community is dealing with the same thing. They have little pockets of areas that are doing well, and then they have chronic structural economic issues everywhere else for the vast majority of the people. And, there's, you know, factories have closed, and there's been no strategy. And I think this is what's differentiating me among all of the other candidates is that I have a strategy to middle class. So the, the Lordstown facility that used to be 16,000 auto workers is now down row. And what I'm saying is let's have a strategy around electric vehicles to get manufacturing pushed into these old communities, old textile, old coal, old steel, old auto, communities of color that have been left behind the last 30 or 40 years, all these industries that are growing. There's an industrial revolution happening, and we're missing the boat here in the United States. I want the American workers to make those cars. So, you know, that's the strategy. It's a tale of two cities like every city in America now. 
in L.A. where they're doing so well, and then there's tent cities of people that are homeless. I mean, yeah. that's happening in Manchester. It's happening here. So I'm encouraging anybody who wants to think that this economic message is important to go to timryanforamerica.com. Send me 10 bucks. You know, keep me in the game here because this is the message at the end of the day that the country needs, and it's going to help us rebuild the middle class. All right. I know i got to let you go. You've been so generous with your time. Thank you so much to Congressman Tim Ryan. Who, Thank By you. the way, listen, Thank you get a lot so of much. jokes for that meditation book. But listen, Marianne Williamson, you were you were there before she was, so I, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, well, and you, I can under- go to, you can go to Amazon.com and buy Healing America for a great gift. Eggs. All right, Congressman Tim Ryan, the Democrat from Ohio, calling from Greensville, South Carolina. Coming up, we talk more politics and policy with an all-star panel. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. We're going to see what happens with Iran. We're doing a lot of bad things right now, and they better be very careful. That was President Trump speaking earlier today inside of the Oval Office with the Emir of Qatar. The president with the Emir of Qatar earlier today, obviously a crucial role in the ongoing escalation, really, of tensions with Iran. Qatari Emir Sheikh Tamim bin Hamad Al Thani was at the White House, and he disclosed an incoming order for Boeing, for Boeing. Companies. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Joel Payne is here, a Democratic strategist, previously the former director of African-American media outreach for the Clinton presidential campaign. He also worked for Harry Reid. Brad Blakeman joins me as well, Republican strategist, former Deputy Assistant President George W. Bush. Brad, I'll start with you. In ter- I, 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 was, I was at the White House earlier today covering the the. Qatari Emir, and I was struck by the conversations that have been had inside the Beltway for the past couple of weeks about the rivalry, candidly, rivalry between the Qataris and the Saudis. And the Qataris came to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue today and essentially said they want to help out to de-escalate tensions with Iran. Can we trust them? Yes, I think we can. I think the the Emir of Qatar has a lot uh, of respect for the United States. Certainly, we have one of our largest bases in the Middle East in Qatar. Um, yeah, they're in a spat. They're in more of a spat with the Saudis. It's actually a, a still a, uh, a boycott yeah. a, a, that they're having uh, between them. And there are a lot of there are other countries who have joined the Saudis. So uh, we, we have to walk a, a delicate balance between our relations with Qatar and the relations with those who are having problems with Qatar. And it's not just Qatar um, having problems with nations like Saudi Arabia. We have problems yeah. with countries like that. So, yes, I think that we can trust but verify with all our allies, regardless of where they are. But we have to um, we have to give them the benefit of the doubt because we need their help, and uh, they're an oasis in a sea of despair. Joel, I'm reading from Al Jazeera. Cutter's Amir meets Trump to discuss economy and security. Uh, that, of course, was at the White House earlier today. Uh, last night, the Qatari Amir meeting with prominent business leaders, business officials, including Bob Kraft, and really essentially saying that the U.S. is opening to open to do business with Qatar, just as they're doing business with the Saudis. 
Yeah, I mean, I think uh, a lot of people have taken some lessons from the Khashoggi fallout, and I think one of them is that the the president and, and, and this administration treats international relations as a business exercise. Um, and and look, that's that is his view of the world. I don't think that he the world in terms of human rights abuses or in terms of you get to pick your friends. I think he says, you know, you asked the question before, um, you know, about you know whether or not the president wants to work with the Qataris. I think they have to. I think they I think they feel like they're compelled to because. Uh, it's an American business interest. It's in America's uh, geographical, geo- geopolitical interest to have folks like the Qataris on our side. And so um, I think that this White House has been very transparent about that, which is a bit unique uh, for for Washington, D.C. I think in the past you may have seen a bit more um, splicing of kind of what the what the rationale is. Well, I think Trump sees the world as it is. Uh, there, the past administration saw the world as it as they hoped it to be or tried to mold it to be, appeasement and apology doesn't work. Peace through strength does. And I think that has been the hallmark so far of this of the Trump presidency is his, he's restored that carrot and stick approach to uh, foreign policy. And so far, I think it's been very beneficial. Uh, remember, Democrats warned us that Trump would get us into war. We're no closer to war with um, anybody uh, and certainly it hasn't come to pass the warnings of Democrats. You know, it, it's important to remember these are energy-rich countries. When we talk about Saudi, when we talk about Qatar, when we talk about the UAE uh, and obviously Iran, I mean, these are, are emerging markets. These are also crucial energy markets as well. And just the geopolitics of this just so quickly uh, moving so quickly. And Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Bahrain, and Egypt have enforced a sea, air, and land blockade against Qatar ever since June 2017. That was the point that Brad was making earlier. And they're accusing Doha, they're accusing, they're accusing Qatar of having strong ties with Iran. So the Trump, the Trump view of the world is to have these countries vying for America's affection or the American consumer's affection is, hey, I'm not going to look the other way on MBS and this Khashoggi fallout because I want the Qataris and I want the Saudis to be fighting over American business, Boeing. you know, uh, Boeing and things of that nature. Now, that's worked for him right now. I think what's going to become an issue as this next along is, do the American people support him on that? Is the economy that important? Right. The president views it as a cultural issue to have these types of issues at his, at right. his disposal. Coming up, we're going to talk about that election. Uh, you, you took me right there. I do want to read a breaking news headline on the Bloomberg Terminal. Reading from the Bloomberg Terminal, quote, a federal judge rejected a request by the Trump administration to assign a new legal team to a lawsuit that blocked the U.S. from adding a citizenship question to the 2020 census. Coming up, we're going to talk about that census with our You can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. 
Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Make America white again. They want to make sure that people, so people are counted. It's, it's really disgraceful. That was House Speaker Nancy Pelosi earlier today criticizing President Trump's trying to get a question added to the 2020 census about the question would ask whether or not you are a U.S. citizen. The Republicans, the president, they argued that this is needed in order to document how many undocumented immigrants are in the country. And, well, we just heard from Speaker Pelosi what she has to think about. She says that it would, quote, is trying to, quote, make America white again. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. I'm joined by Democratic strategist Joel Payne. He's the former director of African-American Media Outreach for Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign and previously served as the Deputy National Press Secretary to former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid. Also with me, Brad Blakeman, a Republican strategist, former Deputy Assistant to President George W. Bush. Joel, you hear that rhetoric from Speaker Pelosi, and she's she's really laying down a marker with, with that. Yeah, it's blunt. Um, I, I, I don't know if that is probably the, the messaging I would lead with, um, but it's accurate. Um, look, the, the president has been pretty clear here what his goal is to, um, quote, accurately count the people in this country. And when a progressive like myself hears that, I hear that the president wants to make sure that people who are from mixed status families or from families where maybe um, they're first generation or something like that, he wants to create some doubt. I think the president's already gotten what he wants to accomplish out of this, which he wants to put a, he wants to put a, a doubt in the mind of a lot of these mixed status families that maybe they shouldn't participate in the census and maybe they shouldn't be counted, which is you know, the, the engine behind why Pelosi reacted so strongly. And there's there's breaking news tonight in terms of this ongoing census question issue, which we've covered now for for several days as we've been following this. A, a reading from the from the Bloomberg terminal, quote, a federal judge rejecting a request by the Trump administration to assign a new legal team to a lawsuit that blocked the U.S. from adding a citizenship question 2020 census. U.S. District Judge Jesse Furman in Manhattan called the government's request, quote unquote, patently deficient, adding that the U.S. had provided, quote, no reasons, let alone satisfactory reasons for the substitution of counsel. Kellyanne Conway gaggle today, as it's called, a gaggle, a White House gaggle, where, you know, you ever see like the scrum of reporters on the news. She was talking to reporters earlier today at the White House. Uh, she had this to say about about uh, the legal fight. Take a listen. The Supreme Court didn't issue a legal impediment decision. In fact, if anything, Chief Justice John Roberts said he left the door open and this president plans to barrel through it. Barrel through it, Mr. Blakeman. 
there's more, he, than, there's, more than, there's more than one way to skin a cat. <laughs> and uh, the president's going to this way, but there's only one way to print a census, and they've got to print this thing well, before they mail it out. Go they, ahead. they can add an addendum. It uh, doesn't have to be on the uh, printed form. Uh, the printed form can, can add uh, one question to the back of it, and, and it can be sent out. They've got long forms. They've got short forms. There's a lot... Uh, of room to maneuver. Don't you love like these Veep-esque moments where they're like adding an addendum <laughs> so, and a pro- and listen, I don't know what side of the aisle anybody stands on this issue, but like the actual how the the deadline in this case has less to do with the courts and more to do with the printers. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, and and, <laughs> and a lot of it has to do with exactly what you said. There's going to be a drop dead date yeah. where it has to be accomplished within a. We certain thought it was time. last month. No, it's look. The date keeps moving, but we it's know, like Congress. Yes, we yeah. know exactly, uh, and I'm sure the White House does exactly how much time they need to accomplish that task. This is a constitutional responsibility, and I also think that Pelosi's remarks are, are patently racist. Um, this, this is the same crowd who wants us to believe that showing an ID uh, has the same uh, connotation that somehow that's racist or you're going to disenfranchise people by properly identifying them before they cast their vote. Well, it's nonsense. Yeah. It's common sense that we should know who you are when you vote and we should know who you are when you're in our country. Yeah, I, d- I disagree with, with that interpretation of the Pelosi comments, though I agree they were a bit strong. Um, she, didn't take the, she didn't take the elbows off. But here, I think sometimes in, in Washington, you know, we miss the forest for the trees in regards to this president and his administration. What they want to do is they want to radically change how people engage with the census. They don't want people who are not natives of that's the United States. That's nonsense. Answer it not truthfully. That is, that is almost precisely, I think, what the goal is here. So all of this stuff with courts, all of these things with barreling through doors and whatnot, this is all a public show just to kind of create but, a, di- a diversion from, from a lot of people engaging because they know, just like in a lot of mixed-status families and, frankly, in a lot of minority communities, that dealing with federal agencies and dealing with uh, the census mi- and dealing can, can you and de- as someone who is from a ide- minority community, those are definition not, those of a are mixed status family. Things. Give me a give me your definition. A definition of it is where the mom is born in the United States, but the dad is, and or right. the child is, and the, and the one one brother is one brother. You know what is. I like about both of you is you both have business experience, and this is the one of the things I love. I love many things about my job, and I'm I'm grateful to do it. But one of the things is that I I I, I got to talk to politicians, but I also get to talk to business folks, big business, small business, medium sized business. They're not talking about this back and forth, sorry guys, banter that is going on inside the Beltway over this issue. They're actually talking about, hey, if this question's added to the census, it could potentially impact their forecast, their economic forecast. And that's why you're seeing so many prominent business groups here inside of the Beltway lobby against this being added to the census because they have concerns that if folks are not going to self-report, they're not going to participate in the census, the chief economist at the U.S. Census Bureau says that that could impact anywhere from like six million plus yes. individuals. That means that a business, forget about big business for a second, a small business that uses census data to, to make forecasts, to talk about whether or not to open a plan or whatnot, this is the business argument. The business argument is that they won't be able to have that data. The administration, Trump says, hey, you know what? To, to your point, Mr. Blakeman, Kevin, you Kevin, know, everything why not? in the Trump yeah. administration is a is a weapon in the culture war. 
This is another. <laughs> but I want to say out. No, I hear. Why don't we just why don't we just honor the constitution? But I want. But I want to make sure. But we got to go to break. But I want to make sure that I want to make sure that we get we hear what I'm hearing from the business world, not just the left and the right. That's the business. That's the business argument. Coming up, we're going to talk 2020 because this census thing isn't going. The census thing. Let me tell you something. The election might be over, and we still might be talking about there's an addendum to the addendum in the printer. Panel stage, Joel Payne, Brad Blakeman. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Maybe we'll add it to the census. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli. On Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. I'm joined by Democratic strategist Joel Payne, the former director of African American Media Outreach for Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign, and Brad Blakeman, Republican strategist, former deputy assistant to President George W. Bush. Two friends of the program, we're thrilled to have you here. We're talking 2020. We had Congressman Tim Ryan on earlier, the Democrat from Ohio. He's campaigning in South Carolina. He's running as a bit of a centrist, Joel. I thought it was kind of interesting when he said it was, quote-unquote, political suicide, political suicide for the Democrats to put up a general election candidate who believes in Medicare for all. Well, sure, obviously he's going to believe that because that serves his political interest. I don't know if I agree with that. You know, I think there's this misnomer out there that a progressive agenda is one that uh, alienates a lot of the American people, and I just don't think that's true. Democrats ran a pretty progressive agenda in 2018 and won 40 seats back in the House. So I think that proved that Democrats can win with a progressive-leaning agenda. True, but Ryan's saying, essentially, why would you go into these... Ohio, where he's from, literally his district, Ohio, Pennsylvania, where I'm from, Wisconsin, Michigan, go after these blue collar union, keyword union jobs and say, hey, wait a minute. If you don't want your health care, you, if you like, you can't keep your health care. There's a hot, ongoing conversation about how to do this, and I think it's completely appropriate for Democrats to do that now. I think primaries are great places to have these kind of debates, and I, for one, I'm happy to see my fellow Democrats battling You're it not, out. You I know what I great. like about Joel? He's an optimist. He's an optimist <laughs> like me. He's calm, <laughs> measured, and I'm like, I'm the same way. You know, I, 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 I feel like we have I don't primary fights. I think, I think primaries work themselves out. I think everyone... Uh, you know, touches arms and says kumbaya at the end of it, and it all gets figured out. I don't know if you were watching the Republicans last cycle. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> well, you know, I remember a time not too long ago, let's say 2016, <laughs> where if you called a Democrat a socialist, you were actually defaming them. You were slandering them. Today, they are quite proud to be referred to as Democratic socialists. And while you have to be selected by the party, you are elected by the people. And we're not going socialist in 2020, and they're going to cross the Rubicon if they haven't already. And and just listen to Congressman Ryan. Uh, he's he's foretelling what's going to happen. Is they're going to select somebody who's totally unelectable? We're and if I'm a union who supported Democrats historically for decades, I am really angry because the one bargaining position that I have, which is my strength, is offering health care. To my workers. Mm-hmm. And if that evaporates, then my collective bargaining uh, strength has evaporated. No, I think Democrats are, are whistling the wrong tune here. There is one Democratic socialist in the race. He has about 18% of the vote. The, no, other, two front runners, the other two frontrunners are Joe Biden, who is no one's lefty, and Kamala Harris, who is secretly 
pretty moderate. She I don't sponsored think the, the Medicare Party. bill, though. That's, that's great, but Kamala Harris governs like somebody. I'm not trying. I'm just. I'm just. I mean, she uh, did. So I guess, she was a co-sponsor. But, but I get. I mean, look, we can Nick and that go back and forth. But that Medicare, issues, Medicare will huge. be a crucial I, issue in I, this. I, I, in I this get election. that, but I guess my point is, is like again, I think it, there's this narrative out there that the party is lurching to the left. And I don't think that that's accurate. I don't think that the hey, facts on the ground support. Hey, Tom Steyer just threw his name in, so you know, billionaire Tom well, Steyer. Eliminating Steyer. private health care. Kevin, I may have uh, an announcement. Eliminating for you too, debt for <laughs> college students. That's Listen, pretty I'm radical. Not, I'm not making. I'm not. I'm not making light of this. Tom Steyer formally announcing that he is entering into the Democratic presidential race. This less than 24 hours. About 24 hours after Swalwell, Eric Swalwell, is. Uh, Taking his name out, he's he's running for re-election in his Northern California seat. He faces a challenger on the left. So listen, we I could talk twenty twenty forever, but I, I do want to get back to this major story of the day. And we also heard from Congressman Tim Ryan about this. Of course, I'm talking about Jeffrey Epstein, the billionaire financier charged with sex trafficking, and the fallout that really has engulfed engulfed Washington. DC in a political scandal both both political parties distancing themselves from him president trump as of tonight not distancing himself from his labor secretary acosta alexander acosta who what many are saying was a sweetheart deal for mr epstein uh back when he was us district attorney i want to play for you what president trump had to say earlier today uh at the white house take a listen I feel very badly, actually, for Secretary Acosta because I've known him as being somebody that worked so hard and has done such a good job. I feel very badly about that whole situation. But we're going to be looking at that and looking at it very closely. Now, folks have called for Secretary Acosta to resign. Uh, Back when he was uh, the U.S. attorney, he struck a deal with Jeffrey Epstein Uh, And he tweeted out, Secretary Acosta tweeted out today that, quote, the crimes committed by Epstein are horrific, and I am pleased that New York prosecutors are moving forward with a case based on new evidence. Should he resign? No, he should not resign. Uh, As a matter of fact, but for Democrats, he wouldn't be the Secretary of Labor. Um, This was all litigated at uh, the hearings for his uh, nomination for labor secretary. And unless there's new evidence that arises out of these current charges uh, that would somehow change the narrative as to why he was given the plea he was given at the time, no, he should not resign. There's nothing to resign about. The fact is these are new charges and uh, they will speak and stand for themselves. I think we're very quick to arrive at that. Not, and I'm not prepared right at this moment to say he should resign, but I think there should be a lot of scrutiny paid to not only what Secretary Acosta did as a prosecutor, but what a lot of people do in those roles in terms of cutting these deals. You know, I worked for John Edwards, who talked about two Americas. There's a lot of things John Edwards did not do well. One thing I think he articulated very well was that there are two Americas. There's two justice systems. There are two sets of rules for a lot of people. I think that's wrong. I think that it's a noble uh, objective for everybody to kind of go after a eliminating that kind of difference between systems. Senator Chuck Schumer saying that, quote, I am calling on Secretary Acosta to resign. It is now impossible for anyone to have confidence in Secretary Acosta's ability to lead the Department of Labor. If he refuses to resign, President Trump should 
fire him. Tomorrow we're going to have more of this fallout. I want to thank Brad Blakeman. I want to thank Joel Payne for joining us. All-stars, all-stars on the show. We covered a lot of ground today, folks. Download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Jay Powell's on the Hill tomorrow. And Christine Barada is back from vacation, our beloved, indefatigable executive producer. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CutterEconomicForum.com.